Hello, and welcome to the podcast of Emmanuel Assemblies of God in Knoxville, Tennessee. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen. If you're ever in our area, we invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For times and locations, please visit at EmmanuelAG.com. Remember, we are blessed to be a blessing. So we're going back to our series, um, Looking Back to move forward. If you'll throw up that graphic, Rick is so snazzy and he loves movies. So I was not surprised when he gave me a back to the future graphic, right? Isn't that that cool? Love it. Uh, If you didn't get to hear last week, our opening message, you can go on our website, find it on your podcast app. Um, I listened to it and made my wife listen to it again. just so we could critique and, and grow. But uh, I just felt like the Lord was really trying to minister to her. And so I play a lot of my messages for her. And so that's how it rolls in the Clark house. If y'all have known me for like five seconds, you know that sarcasm is my love language. Um, and that was also on at the beginning of the year in my envelope. It was like number three on what I need to work on. So we'll leave it there. Still working. But here's some fun quotes. How many of you guys, I asked last week, you've seen the movie, right? But it's probably been a really long time. Here's some quotes that I, that I dug up uh, just for us to look at. This is where uh, he's, Marty's saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, doc. Are you telling me that you built a time machine out of a DeLorean? How many of you guys, that was, that was the car you wanted after you saw this movie? You wanted a DeLorean. Let's be honest. And he said, the way I see it, if you're going to build a time machine into a car, why not do it with some style, right? And, um, and as you, if you remember anything about the movie, you remember he goes back. Does anybody remember the date or even the year of what he goes back to? 1955. I think it was November 10th, 1955. He goes back. The only reason I remember in the movie, they actually show the newspaper to give you the date. That was how they kind of spelled it out. So I think it was November 10th, 1955. He goes back and he's like, he's in his mom and dad's house. And do you remember who had a crush on him in the past? His mom, right? Totally awkward. We are not proponents or endorsing anything about this movie. Let me make that clear. So let's go to our second quote. Just some quick trivia. Hey, Doc, you better back up. I love this one. We don't have enough road to get up to 88. Roads, where we're going, what? We don't need roads. What a, what a famous quote from that movie. And I think one of the most powerful quotes that actually uh, we could probably preach on is this third one here. He says this. He says, your future hasn't been written yet. No one's has. Your future is whatever you make it. So make it a good one. You know, that is, that is pretty good. And, and I listen, sometimes I'll listen to the radio and I listen to Triple H. Anyone ever listen to Halloran on the radio? And he always talks about how each day is like a blank canvas that the Lord gives us. And to me, that's a lot like what this quote is telling us. The Lord will give us new beginnings oftentimes. And as the Israelites were literally exiting out of slavery and out of Egypt, we find that they have an opportunity to paint some new beginnings, to maybe even write a a new history for where their lives are going to be and where they're going to land. And it was part of God's plan. It was the promised land But boy, their path getting there is not exactly what I think I would have expected it to be. So that's what we're going to go back to as we continue to look at looking back to move forward. And so we discussed how God not only recommended uh, for the Israelites to look back, but also commanded that it was a part of their journey in order to be in the process that God was taking them to in order to get there. They had to look back and recount his faithfulness. And I think sometimes 
we suffer from something that I call spiritual amnesia. We forget what the Lord has done for us, especially in the midst of, of really difficult circumstances. Something with a kid that we're, that we're walking through or, or maybe in, uh, in our relationships or in our finances or in our health. We forget what God has already done before. But part of the process to understanding where he's taken us and clinging to his promise, to the promised land, is recounting his faithfulness. We need to remember his promises, his covenant. And even God himself, as we discussed last week, just a quick recap, God himself remembered his covenant. He heard the groanings of the people. God, we're in slavery. You know, the groans and the moans that led to God remembering that led to God being concerned and then ultimately God giving a call. A call to a man named Moses, Moshe, if you enter into a synagogue, if you, a call on on a man that would lead them out of slavery. But even Moses' journey in that call, we understand, wasn't as black and white as you would have thought. There was his own process in that call and in him developing as a leader. And oftentimes the groan though, if it never manifests as a groan will never lead to God remembering his promises because we don't claim them, we don't call out to them, and it will never lead to that ultimate call and deliverance. And so we even saw how the Lord was with them as they were exiting out of, out of Egypt. You remember we looked at the cloud by day and the fire by night and how they were both guiding and also a reminder that he is with them, that he is present, that he is their protection that he is their provider. And real quick, we're going to highlight Exodus 2, starting in verse, I mean, sorry, Exodus 6, starting in verse 2. Where God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord. I did not make myself fully known to them. I established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan. There it is. There's the promise. There's the future march. There's the destiny that he has for our lives where they resided as foreigners, but they're not going to be foreigners any longer. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites, what we just talked about, whom the Egyptians are enslaving. Currently, that's where they're at. But I have remembered my covenant. But I have remembered my covenant. God's going to remember some promises to his people today in this house. And he's going to remind us that our past, it does not predict or dictate our future. And we cannot allow the enemy to come in with his three-headed snake, as I like to call it, with guilt, with shame, or condemnation. How many of you know those are probably the three prime areas that the enemy really likes to beat us up? likes to tear us down, likes to get us off our course of guilt. That is what we've done, of shame, that is who I am, and of condemnation. Remind us of both of those. But in verse 6, Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from underneath the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and mighty acts of judgment. Oh, verse 7, this is my favorite. It says, I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out from underneath the yoke of the Egyptians. You see, in verse seven, he paints not only purpose, but their identity. 
In order for us to move forward, we don't only remember his promises, but his promises are wrapped up in who he is. And if we misunderstand them, that this is just a, an exchange, some sort of transaction that is happening. I give you this, you gave me that. No, it is who he is. That is his promise. It's his identity and it's wrapped up in who we are. Our purpose and our identity are in him, in him alone. And that can't be disconnected. And it's all about relationship. As I mentioned last week, he is so bent on having that relationship with us. And over this next week, I'm gonna uh, challenge us to do a few things to recount his relationship and interaction with us. And I want us to remember that as we're marching towards Easter, as we're marching towards a, really a monumental season of remembering, of remembering. And in verse eight, I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. Something I didn't get to uh, mention last week in verse nine of chapter six in Exodus, Moses reported this to the Israelites. So Moses takes back the word of what God's going to do. Here's the promise. Here's what he's going to do with us, with our, who we are. We're going to be his people. Wow. What a great word, right? Moses is preaching. He's on fire. And so Moses, he reports to the Israelites all of this. And here's, here's their response. Maybe you can relate. They did not listen to him because of two things, the, the scripture tells us, their discouragement and harsh labor. Their discouragement and harsh labor. Have you ever felt like that before? Have you ever felt like your circumstances kept you from hearing God's promises? How could that possibly happen for me, God? Do you know where I'm at right now? Do you know what I've gone through? Do you know what I've done even? My current, my harsh labor, I, this is what I deserve. This is what I'm worthy of. How many of you have played that? You don't have to raise your hand, but I'm saying my hand is raised. How many of you have played that broken record over and over and allowed the enemy to continue to feed that to us that because of our circumstances and how we got here, I can't, I can't even hear God's promises. It literally says they did, they did not listen to him because of their discouragement and harsh labor. And when we're in those circumstances, it's so hard to get out of our circumstances feeding our emotions and our feelings. And for them, that was discouragement. That was discouragement. And I want us to be able to, in this place, the Holy Spirit, to shake off some of those funks in our life, some of those feelings, and that, the oppression and the weight that maybe we've been walking through because of our current situation, because of what you may consider your harsh labor. But I believe the Lord is going to give us a new lens to see things. And it's not going to be through the eyes of discouragement and disappointment and that we're unworthy, but that we are his, that I am the Lord and you will be my people and that we are wrapped up in him, no longer in ourselves. And today, I believe that that shroud of discouragement is gonna be lifted. I mean, the promises seemed amazing, right? God is literally going to give them a promotion. You're gonna go from making bricks all day and chasing your kids in the parking lot. I don't think that's gonna end, actually, for any of us. No more enslavement. That's what, that's what Moses is coming to say. There's gonna be true and genuine freedom for you in your life. But right now we have a hard time believing that because we're like, but I've been fighting this for years. You don't understand. This is a medical condition. This is, this is, I keep circling this mountain, the same sin. I don't know how I'm going to overcome it. 
But God is saying, you will be my people and I will be your God. I will bring freedom like you have never experienced before. You will go into a place experiencing my goodness and my fullness in a way you never have. But we can't accept it because we can't even hear it because we're stuck. God's going to unstuck us, unstick us today, Miss Susan, in some of our areas. I want to say things just to mess with you. On that note, let's take another drink. Those that are new here, I love coffee. We're going to drink a lot of coffee together, okay? Amen, Crystal. That's right. I told a story about you last week. You need to go listen to the podcast. Just ask my wife. She's heard it twice. (laughs) In verse 14 of Exodus 6, as we keep moving forward, he literally tells the Israelites to turn back and encamp near Pi Haharoth, near Migdal in the sea, and they're encamped there by Baal Zephon. Y'all thought that was Baal, right? It's Baal. And uh, Pharaoh will think the Israelites are wondering. This is my opportunity. They're in confusion. They don't know what God has for them. And guess what? They're just like floundering. You ever been there? I have. And the enemy thinks this is it. This is my opportunity to cut in on them. But this was part of God's plan. It was the old bait and switch so that God could be glorified. I think so often the Lord will leave us in what appears to be, God, this is what you told me. I'm trying to walk in that path, but I don't know where it's headed. And it's so something will enter into our life where we can't take credit for it, but so God can get glory. Lord, I didn't understand. I don't get it. That's exactly right, because I'm still your guiding light. By night and by day, God will get the glory. We will not be able to steal it because it is all his, but he's faithful. And literally here's what he does as they hemmed him in on the, in the desert. He says in verse four, I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them, but I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army and the Egyptians. Even, even the world will see and know that I am the Lord. Sometimes what you're going through has less to do with you and more to do with the people around you. And that's tough. That is tough to understand and swallow that you went through this test and this trial so that you could help 30 other people just through your workplace and where you live and your neighborhood who are going to walk through that same valley but have no light in their life. And you're going to have understanding. You're truly going to know what it's like to be in their shoes and you're going to be able to relate and help pull them out by the arm of the Lord and see them lifted. Amen? Sometimes our process has less to do with ourselves and more to do with him receiving glory and filling the earth, literally the earth, the physical earth that he has made us with in your neighbor and your coworker. I believe that. I've seen that. And so the Lord told the Israelites physically turn back. We're talking about looking back in order to move forward. There's so many examples in scripture where we are called to remember. I would encourage you, if you have an opportunity, even just dial up BibleGateway.com, do a word search on remember, on remembering. See how we are to recount his faithfulness, how, how the Old Testament, especially the Psalms, are chocked full with scriptures of how we are to remember his goodness. It will encourage you. So new for this morning, this is where we find ourselves building on this idea that God is asking us to look back to move forward. And he wants to paint that new, new lens. And I was, I was listening to something this week, and it, differenti- it differentiated how, as humans, we are different than all other creatures and creation. And one of the biggest examples of, of that is that 
we create something in our lives called hope. We create futures. We plan. We aren't just literally living for our presence. Most of creation has to just, it's surviving. It's, you know, it's innate. It's, you know, you look at animal species, you look at all of them. You go and study Georgie at the zoo, the gibbons, and you see that Georgie's not really planning for his future five years, 10 years down the road. But for us, we, we have this innate ability because of whose image we are designed in that we have creative power. And hope is so closely connected to that. You think about as soon as you lose hope, you really lose steam to create that future and that, and that forward movement. Hope is something that we have to fight for, that the Lord wants to give us. Hope implies that we are positive and hopeful for what is down the road. And this is what differentiates us because of how God has designed us. And I don't want us to, to lose that. You see in Exodus 14, as we're moving along, this is where we're going to spend some time today. Exodus 14. Verse 10, for our new context, the Israelites were literally terrified and were crying out to God. And they're afraid for their very lives. And they asked, were there not enough graves in Egypt for us to die there? And they wished Moses had just left them alone. And they felt more secure. This is what I want us to read. Is this verses 10 and 11? Okay, they said to Moses, was it because there are no graves in Egypt that you brought us up to the desert to die? What have you done by bringing us up out of Egypt? Verse 12, didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone. Just let us keep serving the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians. Let's stay right here than to die in the desert. I don't want us to miss this. They felt more secure in their familiar slavery than in this uncertain escape to supposed freedom. Can somebody, you, I want to say that again. Sometimes we feel more secure in our familiar slavery than in the uncertain, what we don't know, in what is being claimed as freedom, but we have not experienced it. It feels more secure to stay in our bondage sometimes than it does to trust God and to step out. Even if we know, God's, God, there's so many promises. Like I keep hearing the Holy Spirit yell the promises to me from the other side but this is what I know. I'm so comfortable in this abusive relationship. This is what I've always gone to because it's, we've wrapped up our identity in that slavery and not in God. And that's what he is trying to rewrite in our history. And we've said, oh, but, but this is, you don't understand. I've always struggled financially. I've never made good choices. And, and so how could he possibly provide for it? I'm just going to squander it. I don't deserve it. I won't be good with it. And so we begin to become more comfortable with where we've always been, even if it's binding us, even if it looks like chains around our lives, because of that uncertain, unknown hope of the future. And this is what requires us to have such faith in a God that is going to have to literally break chains of mindsets of how we've thought of ourselves, of mindsets of what we felt like have held us back in our relationships, of mindsets of what have held us back in believing God for that healing, even for our family member, that that son or that daughter really will come back to the Lord because his promises are that if you train him up in the way that he should go, then he'll, he'll not depart. But God, but God... Please, please, dear friends, don't become so comfortable in your familiar bondages that you won't step forward towards his freedom that he has for you. Let's be full of faith in the face of adversity 
no matter what form it takes. Would you step out with me? And so we learn from the examples of what they were experiencing. We learn from the examples of what they were they were walking through. As Paul told us in 1 Corinthians 10, these were written to us, especially this path right here of their exodus and what they're about to walk through in the sea. Paul tells us these are warnings and examples for us. They're for you and they're for me. And so marching through in Exodus 14, going to verse 13, Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. This is good. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. You could preach those two verses for weeks. Pastor James could probably go a year and a half. (laughs) But he's taking his kids with him and running. Back to verse 13. I want us to hang out here for just a minute. Back to verse 13. It says, Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Easy for you to say, Moses. You weren't making bricks all day. You beat up an Egyptian. We got mad at you. And then you ducked and run. (laughs) Where you been for decades? Trying to get my own leadership stuff worked out. Trying to get my own personality issue. I'm going to this Wednesday night temperament thing and, you know, just trying to figure out how God's wired me. <laughs> Realizing that, uh, you know, as I speak, I gotta, I gotta, you know, respond in a certain way. And that probably wasn't right and probably shouldn't have killed him. <laughs> God's gonna give me the Ten Commandments later and I'll realize that. I'll realize that was one of them, but I didn't have it at the time. <laughs> He didn't. Did you realize that? I just thought of that. So do not be afraid, he says. How many of you realize fear paralyzes? And here they are. They feel paralyzed by this fear. And I felt the Lord speak to me. I think it was in mid-February. He was telling me this. He said, if you've got one foot, especially he speaks to me about fear and faith in both worlds, He said, if you've got a foot in the world of fear and not trusting me completely and a foot in the world of trying to believe and to move forward what I'm, what I'm directing you towards, he said, you will never experience my provision in indecision. Those were the words he, he, I really, I felt him speak to my heart. And this applies to me in so many areas. I'm talking about trusting God with the health of my children. Um, when something breaks at my house, I don't know how to fix anything, Chad. I'm not like you. And so I internally lose it. I try to keep it together on the outside, but I've got, you know, fear likes to duck in in those areas because I'm uncertain about the future and I'm out of control. Fear loves to come in when we don't have control over a certain situation, especially if you're a control freak like myself. But God, that was not a place to amen, Crystal. <laughs> I see why you're leaving now. Thanks. Fear, though, will enter into those cracks and those vulnerable moments if we'll allow them to. And will keep us there, keep us stuck, just like the Egyptians were experiencing. That's why Moses had to say, do not be afraid. And what will drive out that fear? As we learn from John, as he writes 1 John chapter 4, he said, perfect love cast out. 
Do you realize the word that he's using there, drive out or cast out, is closely associated to, to performing exorcism? It's actually a division of those two words in the Greek, exo and balo. Balo is to throw, like a balo, a ball, a ball to you, you know, we could throw stuff. But to literally to cast out is going to enhance the force, exo in the Greek, and is enhancing the force with which you're throwing out something that is, that is to be discarded, something that was never intended to be present. Love, the perfect love of God. And when we talk about that three-headed enemy that wants to rear its head in your life and in my life of guilt. And a reminder, what is guilt? It is what I did. I feel guilty for what I did. No, I really did it. I really did it. I know I did. I should feel guilty, right? And so we, we allow that, that train to, to trail on through. And then we feel shame. Shame is speaking to, yeah, I did it. I'm guilty. But now shame is speaking to who I am. And it's trying to rewrite that identity that was only intended to be found in one person and not ourselves, the one who designed us to bear his image, our identity, to find that our guilt has been removed, that our shame has been met with a greater identity than the one that we want to self-personify within ourselves, and then to remove that condemnation, the judgment that comes from those two that we feel because of maybe our own self-worth, maybe because of actual things that were done to us or that we did. But perfect love is what is going to drive these things out and the fear that paralyzes us as a result of experiencing those. Paul writes, and this is so powerful, that there is therefore now no judgment, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Again, I mentioned last week, the promises are not for the, un, for the unborn again, the unborn, they're for the born again. They're for the people of God. For you, saints, for you, sisters, for you, brothers. It is for us. We can expel, we can see the love of God drive out that fear that is based in that condemnation, in that guilt, in that shame that paralyzes us. And so Moses continues and says, stand firm. Just stand there and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. Okay, so you're telling me don't be afraid and don't do anything. Just stand there. Moses, your strategy seems terrible. I don't know what kind of war books you've been reading when you were in the desert, but apparently they're not based in reality. You, you're saying we're going to see deliverance from this herd of chariots and horsemen coming behind us. And he says, the Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. Some of you need to know that the enemy you're experiencing right now in your life, you're not going to continue to experience. You need to hold on to the promises that what you're facing right now, he's getting ready to literally slay a giant in some people's lives. There is a battle maybe that you feel like you're waging, but he wants you to be reminded that it is the Lord's, that the Lord will fight for you. Verse 14, you need only to be still. Last week, I mentioned that we forget the the temporary nature to what we experience. Remember, I think I used a roller coaster as my illustration. We think we never fear that the good times will last forever, right? Let the good times roll. Yeah, I know they're going to roll. They're going to keep on rolling right out of my life. They're going to come and they're going to go. 
but we're afraid that the slavery, that the heartache, that the pain that we're in will last forever. And God wants to tell you, do not be afraid. Stand firm. What you are experiencing today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. This too shall pass. That's right. God will fight for you. Just be still. And when I think about the stillness of God, and I think about be still and know that I am God, I think that was the verse yesterday. It was was actually the verse of the day when I opened up my Bible app. I was like, how fitting. But to enter into his rest, I think about Hebrews chapter 4. If you're taking notes, this would be a great passage to go back and look at this week. As we're talking about remembering, it's so closely attached to not our works, but entering into the rest of what his work already accomplished for us. And Hebrews chapter 4 really paints this so well for us. It talks about in verse 8 about how what Christ has done. I don't think I have it for you, so I'm actually going to read it. I really want to read this right now. I'm sorry, I didn't have it ready. Hebrews chapter 4. I'm going to read verses 8 through 11. For if Joshua had given them rest as they entered into the land, is what he's talking about, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Verse 10, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. And so he says in verse 11, let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. To me, this is always a strange paradox. Why would we be told to strive, literally work to rest? And really, it takes such effort for us to trust what God has already done. It takes such effort for us to lay down our, our, our mindset of, I've got to do, I must fix. And let me tell you a little bit about a story where I felt like this became revelation to me in a whole new way. And I'm praying this for each one of us. We were on a trip. Uh, we were in Dallas, Texas. My wife and I were actually down there uh, maybe two or three years ago. I don't remember the exact date. Uh, four years ago, she says. She remembers dates better than I do. We'll be married how many years this May? Yeah, you don't know. Okay. <laughs> and so we were in Texas at this uh, youth pastor's conference. The church had actually sent us. We were in the, the youth pastor role here at Emmanuel. And we were down there with a lot of other youth pastors. Um, we were excited to be there. Man, there were some heavy hitters. Jeannie Mayo, if you've heard of her, she was the, the one that was putting on the conference. And as we were there, the big sessions, they're great. They're good. We loved it. But we end up in this little bitty breakout. It was practically in a closet with a bunch of chairs and a guy up front. I mean, not the main speaker is what I'm trying to tell you. And he was the district youth director. He was the DYD of the state of New York. His name is David Hertwick. I'm not even going to try to spell that for you. Google it yourself. I have no idea. It's like H-E-R-T. I did say I wasn't going to try to spell it. Okay. So David begins to just talk about this book that he's, re, uh, he's written, and it had to do with um, good kids, matching t-shirts, blah, blah, blah. It was basically most youth groups try to do this. We try to manage behavior. And he said, we don't have kids that are fluent in the gospel. We don't have youth that understand what the gospel is all about. They're not walking with the power of the Holy Spirit and experiencing true biblical discipleship. Those are the three premises of his book. I bought it and I read the back cover, so I know those three. I just—I think I only read the back cover. I read a little more, Heather, but I'm, I'm terrible about finishing them. So let's talk about the fluency of the gospel. That was the main point, 
right? And that's what he talked about that morning. And he talked about his kids. I could totally relate because I was coaching one of my kids' soccer team. And he's talking about how one of his kids was playing soccer. And every time the ball would cross the line and go into a net, all the parents would go, yeah, they would cheer. It didn't matter which side of the net they were hearing it going across the line and the cheering was happening. And so literally the team was now like scoring on themselves. So it didn't matter where they would kick the ball. If they heard that cheering, they felt like, hey, what's being celebrated is what we want to repeat. Do you guys get that? That's, that's important to even take home with your kids. What we celebrate is what gets repeated. So they were talking about how what we celebrate is what gets repeated. And as he was unpacking, he was leading towards oftentimes what we think we want repeated in the church is just behavioralism. We're addressing, we don't want you to do this. We want you to do that. We're going to celebrate that. We're not talking about the issues of the heart. And we're not talking about necessarily a connection to God. And where I, I landed is he was talking about the gospel. He said, because what we fail to realize, even as parents trying to point our kids to Christ, is we're managing behaviors versus heart attitudes. We've got it a little bit reversed. And so he said, and I realized that that was because oftentimes that's the way we see our relationship with God. We feel like God is even kind of managing my behavior, not trying to transform my heart. And really, that's just us kind of infusing a God layer over self-development. And so I began to listen to him, and he begins to talk about the gospel. He says, we understand that Jesus did something for us, and we accept that, but we let it only apply to the issue of being saved and, and getting to heaven and spending eternity with him. We don't let what the gospel's premise is work its way into every other avenue of our life. And let me explain that. And this was powerful for me. I've grown up in the church. I've been to Christian school most of my life. I've, I've read the scriptures. I've been on mission trips. I feel a call of God. Here I am in my 30s at this conference, and I feel like the gospel is being illuminated in a whole new way. It continues from glory to glory for us. And he says, think about how the gospel, what Jesus did, was all because we couldn't do it for ourselves. What is happening here in the Old Testament is Moses is leading a people through a salvation that could not happen for themselves. They couldn't set themselves free. They couldn't really just say, don't be afraid, unless the Lord, unless the Lord, unless the Lord. But what Jesus ultimately fulfilled that he couldn't even paint the full picture in the Old Testament for us of was that you can't do it. Only I can. And I did. And it is finished so enter my rest and stop your striving. You're not going to change that relationship. You're not going to heal yourself. You're not, you're not the provider for your home, even if you're the man of the house. God is. Yes, you don't work, you don't eat. I get that. But the Lord is our provider. And so I began to realize that that's it. Man, I've been working so hard to be the best that God has called me, the best version of myself. And there's a lot to be said for working out our salvation with fear and trembling. We have to continually present ourselves to the Lord. Lord, I'm available to your spirit's work. Lord, here I am. Use me. But it's not going to be in our own power. It's not going to be outside of the spirit of God working in us because the gospel, the cross is what we work towards. It is what we work from and everything flows through the veins of Jesus. Amen. And so what does that look like? For me, 
If I'm in an, an, an issue of a miscommunication with Candy, which probably happens once every 10 years, I would say. And, and so we're, in, we're going through something. I realize, you know what? Here I am. I'm, uh, my personality is doing this. Her personality is doing that. I, I, not our personality, but her temperament, her wiring even. And I realize, okay, I need to speak this language. I'm getting better at it. But ultimately, the gospel of what Jesus did is wanting to heal every area of my life. It's wanting to heal the relationship that right now is estranged with my brother. It is wanting to also bring complete healing to my sister. It is wanting to bring healing to my nephews who have CF. But I am simply posturing myself to enter his rest and welcome the power of that gospel. Welcome the power of what he already did. Create an atmosphere where what Jesus already purchased can invade these situations and circumstances. I am entering into his rest. You see, the rest for them in the Old Testament became a day. It literally became a day of the week that they would cease their works, and we'll see that throughout Exodus. But for us, our rest is not in a day, but it is in a person. It is in Jesus. I don't rest on Sunday. I rest Sunday through Saturday, and it's not based on my calendar or my schedule. It is based on an individual that I am giving my life to. I am entering his rest. Man, y'all, I want to hear some amens. This is good, right? <laughs> We're talking about rest. We're talking about faith. We're talking about trusting God for our future, looking back at what he has done so that we can move forward. And this doesn't mean inaction. Rest does not mean inaction. And this is what I want us to get. This is what I think the, where there's a tension to manage. How many of you guys understand the difference in a problem to solve and a tension to manage? A problem to solve is there's an answer to it. We got to address it. But sometimes there's kind of, there's two sides that we see things and we need to manage the tension of two things that seem to be polar opposites simply so that we can get the tightest tension to go where it's meant to send us as we understand them in their, in their full capacity. So for us, we rest in the Lord, but it doesn't mean we do nothing. And so Moses would write again in, in uh, verse 15 here. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? No, wait, wait, Mr. Michael, I'm back at Sunday school, Tara. <laughs> That's what the kids call me. So they, you're saying, Michael, you just told us that groaning leads to this. But there's a season when our groaning must end. And Moses writes, the Lord said to Moses, why are they crying out to me still? Why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Sometimes we've got to get back up and keep on walking. And that's the most faith that we can show in that moment. And that is not always easy. That can be very uncomfortable because we get so used to our groaning is no longer a cry out to God. It's become a wallowing pity party for us. And it has actually become another form of slavery and bondage, keeping us from the freedom he has for us. So while there is one form of groaning that is leading to rescue and deliverance, there is another form of groaning that keeps us bound and stops us still in our tracks. Why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff. Stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the waters. Do something so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. I'm going to do this. Remember, I told you, I'm going to heart his hearts. They're going to chase you. I'm going to gain glory. 
through him, his entire army, through his chariots and his horsemen, the Egyptians will know, not just you, but the whole world will see and know that I am the Lord when I gain glory. Amen. I am the Lord. Man, there's a lot in this passage. I've always said that it's hard for God to move a parked car. It's really hard for God to move a parked car. I've always heard kind of in our motion of life, just keep, for Dory, just keep swimming, just keep swimming. God's going to lead us, but keep moving and seek that he will guide our direction. He allows us to make our plans, but he will direct our paths. I trust that that's what he does for us. And so really it boils down to, to what the old timers used to say, trust and obey, there is no other way. Trust and obey, there is no other way. I think about when I came back and, and I think about this in light of, of the, the guiding cloud and the, and the fire by night that God gave them. So when I was in LA, I kind of mentioned a little bit of what it was like. But when I worked out there, I was working for a very type A driven individual. More nights than not, I would come into the office for work the next morning and he's falling asleep in his chair, very driven, very, this is his all consuming life. Uh, this was Matthew Barnett's personal assistant and I was his assistant, which may, means I washed cars and took dry cleaning to the laundromat. Anyways, <laughs> glamorous ministry life. I came back after a very, LA's got a lot of stuff to do. There's always opportunities to go to a premiere, a red carpet event. And we got a lot of opportunities to do that. Rubbing shoulders with folks. It was just, it was fun. And ministry was very busy. And I worked for an individual that was very intense. I say all that to say, I came back really burnt out. I came back to Knoxville, even cut my internship. I felt really bad about this. I cut it short. I had made a commitment and I never fulfilled it. I even thought about going back out there later and, and you know, fulfilling the end of my term. But spiritually, I was, I was wasting away. And I came back and I thought, okay, Christmas, boom, I'm going to come back. I'm not going back to LA. I'm flying all my stuff back with me. I'm going to go to this conference uh, up, in, up in Kansas City, the One Thing Conference. I'm going to fast. I'm going to pray. Man, I'm going to get my spiritual butt back in gear. And it didn't happen. I did all those things because I was trying to do it. And I thought, this has worked in the past. This is how God used to get me back on all cylinders. Maybe it'll do it again. Maybe the passion will start flowing again. Maybe this numbness that I'm feeling in my heart and in my spirit will go away, but it didn't work. And so that just added to my disillusionment. I began to just really even question God. I'll be honest. I went through what I call my postmodern experience in life. I questioned everything about the reality of Jesus. I didn't know if I was going to move forward one more day as far as my faith went. It was dark. It was a spiritual attack that was over my life in that season that was trying to really snuff out what God had done. You know what I wasn't remembering? What he had done in my past. How I experienced his love in real tangible ways. How he had set me free from things that I could never set myself free from. And I had to go back to the blood of the lamb and the word of his testimony in my life. But it still took time. It still took some seasons of life. Boy, I wish it had gone a lot faster. I even went back to an old employer and got a job because I had to figure out what to do. I started at Kiko as soon as I got back, started a new program. I just wasn't in the right place. I had to say, I'm sorry, I can't keep doing this. So I went back to what I last knew, an employer that had hired me throughout high school and college. 
I overcommitted myself because I still wasn't in the right place and I didn't know what to do next. And then I had to tell him a few months later, I can't keep doing this because I think I'm supposed to at least follow what God had for me. So as God's kind of working all this out, I'm floundering. Have you ever been there? Just me? No, I think, yeah, a lot of that. I see your heads. And God in his faithfulness, he saw me through that season. Even through the dark night of the soul, the Lord will be with us. Even through our trials, his joy is on the other side of that, of that gloomy, gloomy night. His joy comes in the morning. And, and it just took some time. I wish there had been one answer that I could give you guys. I wish I could tell you that there was a quick fix, but you know what I had to learn? There's not sometimes to the things we walk through in life. There's not a pat proverb answer to apply to every Job situation. Who sinned? Him, his friends, his wife. Not always the situation. Not always exactly will a proverb apply to a Job circumstance of the soul. And so we walk through it and we continue to trust God and we don't, we say, I'm not going to curse him and, and die. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to put the next foot in front of the other. So I went back to what I knew. The last thing I had heard as a teenager for where my future was going, the last thing I had heard was, you, you need to get your master's in missiology. You're going to get it from here. I was set on the school. I was dead set on where I was going when I was 15. I knew. I didn't know how I was going to get there. I sure didn't expect this, this journey. So I was like, I need a stepping stone. The school I went to in Florida where I met Candy, I don't have anything to really show from it. I need, I need a bachelor's. So I just went somewhere that I could drive from my parents' house. Just stayed there, saved money, went to Johnson, finished up a degree that was just a stepping stone for me. Bible and history, I studied history. That was my major. And it got me to the next step to where God in those years was able to process things in my heart but I wasn't experiencing his glory. Like, it, I mean, it wasn't this cloud of day or this fire by night. I literally had to go back to the last thing I had heard him say. I had to trust that he was still in that, that his call was irrevocable. That regardless of what I was experiencing, that hadn't left. His promise was still the same for my life. And that's a really difficult thing to sometimes do. But until you know anything else, go back to what you last heard him say. Begin to walk that out the best that you understand. He allows us to make our plans. He will direct our paths. He's a faithful father. He's so faithful. And I say all that because I believe that there's redemption even in our process because our redeemer is the way maker. He is the way maker. And as, as we walk through the Exodus, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap this up. As we walk through some of this, this is my first ending of... I don't know how many, at least four or five. We see that Miriam ends up in a place of rejoicing and singing about God's faithfulness and what they've just experienced. Can, can I encourage us to take time and to sing and to remind ourselves even in song or in dance, whatever it is. You see, they started a little desert band, not a garage band, but a desert band. It was just her and the ladies out there with some tambourines. And if you ain't got rhythm, that's okay. Just clap along the best you can and encourage the song of those around you. Because remember, we rejoice with those who are rejoicing. There's something to be said in that, to even remind ourselves of the faithfulness of God in other people's lives. It encourages our faith, and we mourn with those who mourn. We walk through the high points as well as the low points together. And we see that Miriam is rejoicing and reminding uh, the, the nation of Israel as well as herself about God's faithfulness. 
And oftentimes what I see is what the Israelites did that right after this song, here they are and they see themselves in, in Exodus 15. Verse 22, then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea. Here they are, they're crossing, they're crossing that sea. Literally have all the Egyptians and his, and his army and his forces been obliterated. Here salvation is happening. They're entering into the direction of the promised land. And they're there for three days. They're traveling in the desert without finding any refreshment, without finding any water. How in the world could gossip God possibly be in this, Right? He was about to expose some things in their heart that they were still relying on and, and that were still attached to their past. And when they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. And they called it that because that literally means bitterness. You see, even as the Lord leads us, he's going to expose our inability in provision for our freedom and he will do this again and again, taking us back to the gospel. Let me show you something that is in this passage that is powerful. So the people grumbled against Moses saying, what are we to drink? You brought us to this place, but the water, it's terrible. It's literally so bitter that they can't palate it. What was supposed to be refreshing is literally turning our stomachs. And Moses cried out, to, now Moses is crying out. He's crying out to the Lord. And the Lord showed him a piece of wood. And he threw that wood into the water and the water became fit to drink. Oftentimes, the people, me, you, were still looking for natural provision, but not from a supernatural source. And we like to look at our lack. We like to maybe even look at our loss. We like to look maybe even to other leaders. Moses, what about you? But we never look to the Lord. And Moses does what the people didn't. He cries out to the Lord. And guess what the Lord does? He makes provision in even the most bitter of circumstances. Where there's seemingly unchangeable affliction, he provides in their, better, in their barren, waterless desert. And he shows Moses a piece of wood that will transform and change the bitterness into something sweet and refreshing. I want to tell you that there was a piece of wood that a man 2,000 years ago hung on to transform your affliction and your bitterness into something that can become sweet again. This was literally an epitome here of, of Christ and what he was going to do. I believe it. I believe it was a prophetic testimony of how God will continually provide for us even when we've seen his salvation, even when we've seen these things. Here is Jesus trying to, God is showing us another layer of what is to come, how, how he will provide for us something that we can never do ourselves. Don't ever lean into our own understanding or strength, but lean on the one who is the provider of us all. It is Jesus and what he has done on the cross. Amen. Amen. And I believe that the full ramifications, as he says in verse 25 and 26, in that moment, he tells them, listen, do what is right. Pay attention, keep. He said, I will not bring on any of you the diseases I brought on the Egyptians. Remember, he makes a distinction between us and the rest of the world. We are his people. He says, for I am the Lord who heals you. And salvation, it's full-fledged, well-orbed, and holistic. We see that he delivers us and sets us free. He saves us and redeems us. And he also brings healing, body, soul, and spirit. Amen? He is our provider. And I wanna, I wanna tell us that we overcome him by what? The blood of the lamb. It's the gospel and what? The power 
of our testimony, the word of our testimony. And we love not our lives, even unto death. Will you this week look back at his faithfulness? I wanna challenge us. Would you begin to journal, maybe divide it up based on the number of days you're gonna do it. Divide up your life into segments and literally remind yourself, God, how were, how were you in my life when I was first born? What was going on? How can I see your hand? Even in some of the nastiest of places, God, how are you protecting me? How are you, God, how did you get me to where I'm at now? I want you to recount his faithfulness. Don't look at the mess. That's what the enemy wants to remind us of in guilt and shame and condemnation. But we are to remind ourselves of the goodness of God and the wake of his history in our past. I want, I want uh, Miss Annette to come up here and just share briefly. Are you comfortable to do so? God's faithfulness. Let's encourage her. You see, because as I was praying for, come on up. As I was praying for her this week, I was reminded of what we're talking about this morning. Because how many of you know, when we begin to take some steps of faith, the enemy doesn't just quit and roll over, right? That's probably when it gets a little more tough than ever. And you've seen that here lately, emotionally, mentally, in every way. But as we begin to see his faith and his faithfulness exploding, boy, the enemy just wants to cut that off. And But we overcome him by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. Would you share? About what just what God, how, yeah, how God provided just everything. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, well, <laughs> well, today was a hard... Ask Brother Carey. I'm glad I came today because um, a couple of years ago, I met this family because um, I was staying at the Salvation Army for domestic violence. And, um, you know, I'm not glorifying this, but this is part of my testimony. Um, you know, I have an ex-husband who almost killed me. It was bad. He got 15 years for what he did to me. And then one day I got invited by Miss Blake to um, a Thanksgiving dinner and I was the only one that showed up. <laughs> and all the, the beautiful women here were there, and we just started talking and sharing, and you know what I mean? And so, like, God just opened me up to speak to Miss Sabrina, and we just shared about, you know, I've been through a lot, you know what I mean? And I was thinking about just when he said that about the journal, I was like, part of me wanted to say, but what if there's not too many happy moments to talk about? And that's just what it is. That, that was my life. You know what I mean? My mom had four girls. You know, I was the boy, I guess. <laughs> I should have been the boy. That's what I think, because I was the protector. You know, I had an abusive father. I had all this, but I survived. You know what I mean? I'm here. I have eight beautiful children, four boys, four girls. And God has placed his hand on all their lives. Like, they're doing so good. I got teachers. I got a Marine. I got an, a sergeant in the Army. You know, I've been blessed, but I've always noticed how the Lord, the devil's always tried to take me out. And I don't know why. You know what I mean? I don't know why I'm in Knoxville. I know now, you know what I mean? Because I know that it's for this. Because, you know, my ex-husband recently got a hold of me. And right when it happened, her and Bree walked into McDonald's. Right when it happened. Let me tell you that. Right when it happened, and they go, Annette. And I just... I was in a shock mode that he even contacted my phone. You know, I haven't heard from him in six years, and he's all talking about how, you know, that's why I ran out earlier, because I felt ashamed. I felt ashamed because I listened. I was actually, God, the devil will put you in that comfortable spot to where you think you deserve that type of life. I'm better than domestic violence. I'm better than... Yes. Amen. 
all my life, my dad beat my mom. And I became that 14 years old. I ran away for two years, told my dad, I drink, I smoke, and you're never going to touch my mom again. I know how to fight. And that's what became my life. You know what I mean? I thought that's what normal was. This is normal. Church is normal. Be free is normal. You know what I mean? I don't, I, I may be 45, but I'm barely learning how to live. You know what I mean? I get, I got my kids and God's restoring our relationships, but I was 14 when I got pregnant. I didn't know how to be a mom. You know what I mean? And my mom, and I love my mom, but she should never have told me you're a mom. You're a kid that had a kid go out. I should have learned how to take care of my babies and I'm suffering from that now, but I got Tristan and you see the love that that boy got. I raised him. God is showing me how to raise Tristan. And that's something that nobody had no part of, only God himself. Because he's teaching me how to be a mom and how to be a woman, how to be a human. I see all these beautiful ladies and, and, and I want part of that. Do you know what I mean? My testimony is a life of, you know, one day I saw this man walking and he had this, I don't know why it, what it represented, but he was carrying this big old wooded cross. And I just looked, and he was just roaming down the hood, and I was like, what the heck? <laughs> We're sitting there drinking, and I'm just seeing this man in this white outfit clearing his cross. And this is on God, like I'm telling the truth. And I was just, now I know what that represents. You know what I mean? In the hood. You know what I'm saying? My past is now who I am. Danny will never define me again. All those lies of, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to break your cheek and break your nose to where I was in that courtroom and I had to defend myself that day. I told, I told myself and I told the police and I told everybody I'm never going to let anybody touch me again. It's not going to happen because I have daughters that I don't want that to happen to. I am a walking testimony. Amen. I am blessed. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm here. You know, you know what makes me sad? Because I miss my mom every day. It's me and my mom. I just lost my grandmother, but God literally had to take me away from everything that I knew. You know what I mean? Hood, being ghetto, that's who I, that's, I'm not even going to say that's who I am anymore. That's, that's who right. I was. Right. He's put me in places. He's put me in people, places, and things where the one thing that I knew how to survive was tested, and that's to stand up from, you don't let anybody disrespect you. You don't let anybody if somebody was to disrespect him and he didn't say that, oh, believe me, I would. <laughs> like, you got a problem with him? You know, that's just who I, that's what I know since I was 14. <laughs> you make me but I got a job now. You know what I mean? I have, I was in the, the Salvation Army, oh my God, where I was being tested. <laughs> I was probably, she was probably sick of me here. I'm going to, you know, I literally told the staff, just put me and no girl in the room and just lock the doors and walk away. <laughs> just give us a moment together so we could talk. <laughs> and then it'll be over with. You know what I mean? But now, now, when Danny called me the other day and she walked in and, you know, I don't know if he told you, probably did. He texted me and I said, please pray for me. Because during those Job moments that I had these past four months where I had to learn how to submit, I had to learn how to humble myself, I had to learn how to cast down the old me, 
The one thing I knew how to do was run to God when I didn't know how to handle Danny. I ran to her, I ran to him, and I said, please pray with me. I don't know what to do. I'm scared because I don't want to be, you know, I have, you know I've been busy lately, and I'm, that's no excuse, but I have missed church. You cannot miss church because in situations like that, you won't know what to do with yourself. Point blank. People say, well, we could praise them at home. We know you can't. We need each other. You didn't know all this about me all coming in and all smile. And a lot of us probably go through that. But when all that happened these past four months, and I, I was being, I thought these people were being dumb. I'm not even going to say what I want to say, but they were being dumb. <laughs> but it wasn't he was teaching me. Because during a Joe moment, he's preparing us to go for a bigger situation to come out of that bigger situation. And the one thing that I know how to do during that time this week was to run to my church family. So I'm going to have, thank you so much. Amen. No, perfect. So, so thankful that you, you would share, you'd be brave enough to share. And, um, I'm going to pray, but before I do, I want, I'm reminded of some things as you're sharing, because even when we cross that river uh, and God obliterates our enemy, it doesn't mean that the enemy doesn't continue to whisper that they're going to come back. That what if they, what if they build a bridge? What if the waters recede? What if they, you know, all these different scenarios begin to be painted in our head and it's not God. When, when God brings up something and it's the conviction of the Holy Spirit, it is to positively move us forward. When the enemy rears his head or we remind ourselves of our past and guilt and shame and condemnation come in, it beats us down and makes us want to go back. Just distinguish the voices and spear one to the wall and say, enemy, you're not going to speak to me and keep moving. That's how we take every thought captive. Be aggressive. Be aggressive against those thoughts and those feelings. But as I was just listening, I want to pray and I want you to be the, a symbol of so many situations that are in this room, all right, that we're all walking through. And we're just going to believe God's faithfulness and his promises as we begin and that God would help us to see where he has been involved in our lives, that God would help us be able to recount his goodness throughout all our days because our best are, are ahead of us and he's moving us forward, but we're not going to allow fear to paralyze us. We're going we're gonna to believe in his perfect love. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much for my sister here, for Annette, that she would have just the, the bravery and the courage to share her, a bit of her story. And I believe, Lord, as for herself, for all of us, that God, we want to experience your goodness all the days of our lives, regardless of our past, of our failures, of our mistakes, that Lord, we're not letting that define us. We're drawing a line in the sand. Our history is history. And God, you are faithful. Thank you that we can't, we don't, we don't even have the ability to lean on ourselves. We don't have anything to prop ourselves up. You're removing that all from underneath us so that we can fall into your arms of grace. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for what you've done for us. Thank you that you're going to bring healing, complete healing to past scars, to just damaged emotions and situations that have happened to us. But Lord, you're going to bring them up when we're ready to, to accept your balm of Gilead, your healing power. Lord, we're not going to allow the enemy even an inch, but Lord, we're going to band together. We're going to wrap our arms around each other. We're not going to allow the enemy to isolate us and to pin us alone. We're going to band together. We're going to see the strength in our body, your purposes happening in our midst. We thank you, God.
and all that we will do is give you glory. It's all for that. It's all for this reason, that you would receive glory, that you would receive glory, that you would receive glory in our lives through us, to us, and back to you, Lord. We thank you. You are good. Amen and amen. Annette, thank you so much for sharing. How many of you have been encouraged today? I know I have. I want to encourage you this week, just recount his faithfulness. Begin whatever it is. If it's to type up a note on your phone, if it's to literally write it down on a piece of paper, bring that with you next week. We're moving somewhere. We're going, to, we're going somewhere next week. And just, just the epitome of remembering what Jesus has done for us. Easter's going to be powerful. We're going to remember that he is alive. I love you guys. I bless you as you go. Hug someone on your way out. And if you want one of these assessments for Wednesday, don't forget to come and grab one. Bless you guys.